0: This is not the end. I'm gonna build something better, something
1: faster, lighter, meaner, wilder, and I'm gonna do it from in here, where you are, you fucking pirates! Yeah. All right. yeah. Welcome to the official Succession podcast from HBO. I'm Kara Swisher, and it's wedding season on Succession. I would like to sing one fucking song
0: at karaoke, because I've seen it in the movies, and nobody ever wants to go. Maybe we don't just wave this through. Maybe, maybe it pisses off my dad, but maybe that's okay. Man, my dad was a
1: god.
2: Tomorrow he's selling
3: the, fast the fast fast empire to small small a 4chan Swede and
1: dishing out jobs 5-5. for blowies. Today, we're talking season four, episode two, with Succession executive producer and writer Lucy Preble, and later divorce attorney to the stars, Laura Wasser offers her expert take on how Tom and Shiv can end their marriage without the meddling of Logan, which honestly feels like an impossible task. This second episode of the season was written by Tony Roche and Susan Soon-He Stanton and directed by Becky Martin. Let's get into it. As he prepares for life post-Waystar, Logan finds a new place to be top dog, ATN. Meanwhile, Shiv, Kendall, and Roman think they can squeeze more money out of the Waystar Gojo deal with the added benefit of pissing off their dad. For once, Logan sees this interpersonal family drama as bad business, so he shows up at Connor's very bleak karaoke bar bachelor party to make amends. Shiv and Kendall aren't having it, but Roman, on the other hand, might be ready to jump ship. I
3: mean, you really want me at ATN? More, Ramirez. More.
0: I need you.
1: Joining me now is Lucy Preble, an executive producer and writer on Succession. Lucy also wrote the Tony-nominated play Enron and the dark comedy series I Hate Susie. Welcome, Lucy. Hi, Cara. Nice to see you. So there's a lot to talk about. We talked last year and now we're in our final
2: season. I'd love to know your feeling about it being the final season. (laughs) Well, I guess what I feel is sad in many ways, but also quite... um moved and grateful and also sure that it's right it's been conceived this way since the beginning i mean not necessarily that it would be exactly for but the way that the story would land and i think that jesse seems to have very good instincts with that and i think we'd rather do a show that felt perfectly formed rather than do a show that kind of you just kept spinning the wheel on it and seeing what happened Everything must end, right? I mean, you're a playwright, you understand. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I also really believe that because I'm a playwright who loves tragedy as well. And I think the thing about comedy is it tends to just, you know, come alive again and again and again. You tend to reset is kind of the form with comedy. And with tragedy, there's always an ending and the ending is kind of within the beginning.
1: I feel like all the writers in the room and you're a very well-known writer are just like okay we're pulling out all the stops. I can see them typing madly. I can see them <laughs> going, "Oh yeah, yeah, now this one," like throwing it all out there. And that's that's
2: it's a pleasure actually to watch Really? That's interesting. I mean, Jesse always talks about not wanting to leave money on the table, which I think is something that obviously, you know, is is a sort of deal term as well. But what you want to do is think, you don't want to look back and think, oh, we never did that scene. We never did that moment.
1: Right. And it's even the lines. Like, instead of one great line from, say, Roman, there's 10. And they're (laughs) like, oh, yeah. It must be such a pleasure as a writer. It
2: is. And also, there's a number of us that work on it. We have a, a system on succession where there's always at least two writers on set at any time, normally three. So we're bringing extra lines to set every day as well. And Kieran, he plays Roman, is particularly good at that. We'll sometimes give him a page or two of alternate lines, and he will just do one after the other, after the other, take after take. It's fantastic. It's working out rather well. Um So let's talk about this
1: episode, the big takeaways. The big story in this episode is that Shiv, Roman, and Kendall decide to squeeze more money out of the Gojo deal. The option wasn't even on the table last week. Maybe it didn't occur to them as the deal. These deals tend to, like, galumph their way to the end, most big deals. People don't realize they don't have to immediately. What makes Shiv jump on this plan?
2: Well, as you say, Cara, it's not uncommon for boards to ask for more money in a deal mm-hmm. situation no. like this. In fact, if you know, in the same way as if you were selling your house, it would be odd for you to take the absolute first offer. Often you'll sort of play the game and push it up a bit. And certainly Sandy and Stewie have been interested. We know from the phone call that Sandy has with Shiv that she may have spoken to her before about the possibility of trying to squeeze more money out of the deal. And I think it's fair to say that Shiv is more inclined in that direction once she hears that her father is advising Tom on her divorce. And I think there's a petty, but frankly, not unusual in the Roy family, personal vindictiveness to her thinking, well, I can make my dad's life a little bit harder at this moment because he's certainly doing that to me. That's a really good point. And Kendall, of course, gets a
1: call from Matson threatening to walk away from the deal, if you cover deals, this is what happens. People are trying to sort of either one-up each other or threaten or to play chicken with each other in some
0: fashion.
2: Yeah, right. As you say, the deals are much more complicated than often they first appear and, and people behave in sometimes quite either foolish manners or just sort of like personal feelings come into it. Matson is not pleased to be asked for more money. And that phone call that he has with Kendall, it's an interesting one because... Kendall seems to have been very on board with just getting out before this point, um, enjoying spending time with his siblings, them working together. But I think something happens in that call where he really senses that there's a potential for the deal to fall apart, which, as you say, is not uncommon. Probably more deals fall apart, wouldn't you say, than actually reach the finish line? I think there's a lot of jockeying. Once you sign the deal, you're like, but just a second, I want this, Right, that kind of thing. Right. And I think that once Kendall gets a sense of that, Maybe subconsciously or even consciously there's another future opening up for him where he starts to think, hang on, maybe we do push for money. Maybe we push this back a bit because maybe letting go of Waystar is hard for him. Yeah, or scotch the deal completely. Absolutely. There's a way out of it because they got played in
1: the last season. Mm -hmm. Roman seems less keen on this. How fragile is the alliance between them? Because they constantly look like they're going to turn on each other.
2: Right. It's a fun dynamic to write because, as you say, The alliance is fragile in its very conception. Even when they went to their father in Italy, you know, it took quite a long time for them to get on board with each other. And Roman is always very torn between loyalty with his father and his siblings. But there's another way of looking at it, which is that these people are family and they sort of... They bicker with each other. They tease each other. They hate each other sometimes, but they always come back together. And families are often like this. So in some ways, the alliance is incredibly fragile. But in some ways, there's nobody else that understands them like they do, that's had this life that they've had. Who else are they actually really going to turn to? And even as dysfunctional as it is. Oh, completely. And the dysfunction is how they function. So as we can see from their their relationships in other parts of their life and Shiv's marriage, actually they are the only people who necessarily can work together in their lives. Right. So let's move on to
1: Logan at ATN. I found this scene rather sad. He's in the ATN newsroom and he's trying to sort of reinvigorate himself, which I find somewhat pathetic. But then he gives a speech and they all kind of have to gather around. And he's trying to do his sort of, I am still in charge here. I am just the man. And it works. Let's play a clip.
0: I don't want to know about 3% week on week. I want to know that we're killing the opposition. I want to be cutting their throats.
1: Yeah, these speeches aren't around anymore, I have to say, (laughs) in the modern, you know what I mean? Like, he lives in that era where this kind of stuff worked. In the regime, how did you talk about this version
2: of Logan? It's sort of the old... Logan, I guess. Yeah, you're right. It is is an old school approach, which is something that we thought Logan had a lot of as a character. Um, We talked a lot about Robert Maxwell, the way that he would speak to his staff and have these moments. I think there was actually a moment when Murdoch himself did stand on some toner paper and give a kind of famous It's in Wall Street Journal. Right.
1: It wasn't that good. I was there. It's fine. I kept thinking he's short. Oh, look how short he is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, no wonder he stood on the paper, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's an old school thing to do. We used to talk in the writer's room every season about possibly having an episode called Logan goes back to the floor because we were struck by how these figures, Maxwell and Murdoch particularly, have these relationships with their newsrooms, in Murdoch's case, where, you know, he wants to call up, he wants to talk about the headlines, he wants to really, really specifically get into it. And we were so interested in Logan having this moment when he was about to sell, where he was kind of returning to that state because it would be a complicated thing for a man like that to sell his business and that maybe what he felt he wanted to do was suddenly reinvigorate himself towards where he started which is in Logan's case, more television.
1: Right. In television, this case, right. I I was in a room with Rupert Murdoch where he had a piece of the paper and he would circle things and he was like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? He was very involved, would call up in the middle of the night and ask questions, at least to me about the internet. And it was really, I was like, you know, mostly I was like, step off, old man. But other parts, I was kind of like, well, he really loves it. And that's what you really got from this speech, even though it was Violent language that Logan's using that was quite violent, cutting their throats and things like that.
2: Yeah, and I think there's a virility that he's trying to find in himself because he's afraid of losing his company and he's afraid of old age. Mm-hmm. And do you
1: think he thinks this, that he thinks that he wants to cut their throats? He uses it in normal language, too. He's always trying to fuck people or we're going to get someone or we're going to kill them or something like that.
2: Oh, absolutely. And as he says last season to Kendall, you know, life is a number of a piece of paper and a fight for a knife in the mud. And yeah, he sees business as a form of power, but very particularly a form of violent power he can wield.
1: Mm-hmm. And why was he wearing sunglasses? I wear sunglasses inside all the time. I don't use them to intimidate. I just like them. <laughs> was that a Brian Cox thing? Or.
2: I don't know if it was a Brian choice. I imagine it wasn't because certainly the dialogue did reference them. Um, Greg says at one point he's wearing sunglasses in the side, which suggests to me that we wrote it. But I don't have a memory of why we thought that. <laughs> Maybe just to land the jokes that we wanted to land. But also, you know, there's a defense to it, isn't there? Of Like, you can't see the whites of my eyes, but I can see yours. Right. And it puts people off. It
1: intimidates. And it also, whenever I'm wearing sunglasses, I would just often, people say, why are you doing that? And I said, I'm avoiding intimacy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, at least you know what you're doing. At least you're honest about it. Yeah, I think he is too. He doesn't want, he wants to set himself apart. You'll notice that um, Kendall does the same thing quite a lot more, I think, in this season even than before. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a, a habit that he's picked up from his dad, maybe.
1: So why does he care about ATN? Because it is the
2: beginning of him, that he's going back to his roots, that kind of thing? That's what I think. I also think that that generation, you know, nothing affected America particularly more than the 24-hour news cycle coming in, (laughs) and particularly establishments like ATN, which is obviously a fictional version of, you know, more particularly right-leaning TV news networks in America. And I think... (sighs) it's hard to overstate the impact politically that television news had on that generation more probably even than the newspaper world. So that always felt like a good choice for us. Also, Logan thinks of himself in that slightly Murdochian way as, as this man of the people, of mm-hmm. real people, the mm-hmm. people who watch the television, you know, right. the people in their houses, not the dilettantes, not the elites.
1: Yeah, they have a real contempt for them, even though they live in very beautiful places and right. and are different than you and me. <laughs> um, one of the things that also seems to be something that always seems to pop up in Murdoch's life, for sure, Sumner Redstone, Carrie has really wormed her way into the top uh, sphere of influence with Logan. Started as an assistant. There were theories he wanted to have children with her. In this episode, she's actually trying to get a news anchor job, which is even cheaper in a lot of ways. Talk to me about her role, because... I have seen a million carries at a lot of these <laughs> among these billionaires. And I'm like, oh, look, it's that person. You yeah, know?
2: I'm glad in a way that you mm-hmm. recognize that. Oh, I mean, as much yeah. as I'm also not glad because it's certainly something we came up a lot in our research. I mean, obviously, Redstone is a particularly, uh, let's say, vivid example of all of that. Murdoch. Yes, Murdoch. Sergey Brin. Absolutely. Elon Musk. It goes on and on. Yeah. And there's also a particular thing, again, to do with aging. And we're looking a lot at that with Logan, you know, coming to the end of a particular period of time with the business and so on is wanting to have that vivacity and youth and to find it anywhere that you can. And I think Kerry is an example of that. You know, someone once referred to Murdoch in our um, research as having a leather jacket phase, which I thought was quite interesting. The hair dye phase was nice. Too. Yes, exactly. And we were, we were interested in looking at that with with Logan um, because of the truth of it. You know, it wouldn't be truthful to just to have our characters stay with the wife because so many of them just don't, I'm afraid. They don't. They don't.
1: Well, there's multiple ones, all and they switch and shift, and then they hate the one before it, which is right. always interesting. But one of the things in this case, she wants a news anchor job, mm. which was a painful newscaster audition tape. Did that change his view of her? Or She, of course, shuts Greg down,
2: but ow yeah sometimes we are drawn towards what we call in the writer's room the ice cream which is like <laughs> sometimes we'll have an idea or a pitch and you sort of know that it's just fun and this was one of those ones that we'd refer to as the ice cream which was you know we would love to see Kerry sort of have a bad audition for a news anchor that everyone was watching and commenting on we just thought that would be great fun to see <laughs> and then we were also sort of beginning this storyline for Greg of being somebody who might be um, becoming more vicious in the <laughs> course of the season and maybe even firing people and that becoming his role. There's been so much in the news, as you know, about mass firings over the last year. And we thought it'd be interesting for Greg to do that and that maybe the place he starts is by letting down Kerry. Except it's disastrous. Oh, it's disastrous. But, you know, that's even funnier, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we were also very interested in Logan being in a position He's, he's normally so untouchable, Logan, but actually it's an emotionally quite interesting, complex position, which is that he has this girlfriend, who's his assistant that he's seeing, who wants this thing and he doesn't want to say no to her. So he sort of like pushes the no onto somebody else, in this case, Tom, who then pushes it onto Greg. And I think that's just quite a funny situation where he, they're all trying to guess what Logan actually wants them to say. Does he want them to say, no, she can't have the job or does he want them to say, oh yeah, she's amazing. And people sort of trying to guess what the big man is thinking is always a source of i think truth but also comedy although he can see it here right oh yeah he's he's not that much of an old
0: fool that he can't see that she's bad he just doesn't want to be the one to tell her angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros browse homeowner reviews and even book a service instantly Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Yeah. So Tom is another one. You know, everyone's trying to
1: to jockey for position in in this situation. Um, He's trying to keep his place in Logan's sphere of influence. We're going to be talking with a divorce attorney in a bit about the Tom Shib storyline. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what would divorce mean for Tom? Uh, What's at stake for him? Because he backed Logan over his own wife. And how much does he have to
2: lose? I think Tom has everything to lose. Um, It's always hard and a fascinating question Mm -hmm. how much of Tom and Shiv is based in anything real and in love and how much of it is based purely on a sense of personal gain and, as you say, of jockeying. And... This season, I'm really proud of actually how we explore that. Um, I always have quite a hand in the Tom Shiv storyline and the writing. And there's some stuff in later episodes as well that I just think answers that question for you quite a lot. And I'm excited for people to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at this point... I wonder if him tying up all these other lawyers may have some element of him just not wanting the divorce to proceed at mm. this point. It may be a way of him sort of blocking further progress oh, because okay. it's hard to see, even even unconsciously, it's hard to see how Tom comes out of a divorce with Shiv looking and feeling great, especially considering his new burgeoning relationship with Logan. Mm -hmm. I think he's in big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't have any, you know, no matter
1: who wins, he loses kind of thing. Mm. I think the most affecting scene is this karaoke bar scene. This is an unusual confrontation with his children because he knows they've got him a little bit with holding up the deal. Let's listen to the clip. Do you know what he's offering? You can separate the personal and the business you can Mm. reset your dynamic as a family
0: oh super we're gonna be just how we like we used to be
1: and 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 go on summer vacay together and drive down route one in an rv singing show tunes
3: it may be more complicated than that yeah
1: i mean i guess you're still in the honeymoon period so getting your own show on tv oh are you not gonna be on tv now
0: no i'm sorry is that not Mm. has he fucked you on that
3: That'll happen, the fucking.
0: But congrats on losing your betrayal, Cherry. Enough. I thought you'd be interested in an apology, but that—that's enough. Wait, I'm sorry. An apology? We—we we missed that. Look, I don't do apologies. But if it means so much to you, then sorry.
1: Worst apology ever.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's amazing he does it at all, right? <laughs> all right. No,
1: but it, it's even worse than not saying sorry.
2: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because it's just, it's so obvious.
1: It's the perfect sorry, not sorry kind of reading of that that Ryan Cox did. Talk about the conversation in the writer's room about the scene, because he's a little bit more open and not on the attack, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, in writing it... We, we wanted to see Logan in a way we hadn't seen him before because it's not unusual for him to have this, you know, brusque defensive mechanism in place. We were all interested in, firstly, Kerry's impact on him. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a scene that we don't see where Kerry has a conversation with Logan where she sort of advises him mm-hmm. to be a bit more vulnerable A tactic, using as a tactic. Yeah, as a tactic. And also, maybe even from her point of view, with a naive sense that something could change because she doesn't know Logan as well as they do. So I think she's probably had a hand in it. But also, he's been around the block a long time. He probably knows that when they have a little bit of an upper hand... Him going in there and being very aggressive and angry is going to make that worse, not better. He is a negotiator to some extent. He's made deals throughout his life. So I think, you know, he's smart enough and maybe has had advice from Kerry and the apology, he says it last season to Kendall in episode four, where he says, you'll say anything to get fucked on a date, won't you? I don't think it means anything to him. It doesn't cost him anything to say sorry. And as Roman points out, he doesn't even know what he's actually sorry for, really. He just does it. But, yeah, the karaoke setting is a is a pleasing and weird place. Yeah, he's completely unreflective. I always say that about tech people. They're so unreflective. It's
1: a miracle they have mirrors. <laughs> you're right. I think he probably did use it as a tactic. Uh, Shiv calls him a, a human fucking gaslight, which is very funny. If anything, what should he be apologizing for? or What do you think he's apologizing for?
2: I think you're absolutely right that he is an example of an unreflective human being. That's where he gets his power from. So I sincerely think he's apologizing for the fact that they are doing something he doesn't want them to do. I don't think he's really capable of analyzing past behavior and, and having sincere regret for it. So it is a shibboleth. It is a sort of like totem that he's saying in order to get the thing that he wants. And then when he, when they force him to think harder about it, the, you know, as, as he says, the thing he comes up with is the helicopter because that's the last thing he can remember that he did withdrawing the helicopter from them where he thinks, oh, if that had happened to me, that would annoy me. I think that's what he is capable of. He's capable of doing that, of going oh, yeah, I can see that I did a thing that I wouldn't like done to me. But that's the extent of it. He thinks it's about the helicopter. Yeah. And also he's just he doesn't see the virtue in thinking about his whole like life and experience as a father. What a waste of time, you know, for him. It's classic narcissism. Oh, totally. And the children obviously are not that to the same extent. Kendall, if anything, is vaguely over reflective and vaguely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, has his own kind of narcissism as a result of that. Yeah. But in a way that, that disempowers them because they don't have the kind of brute strength of someone like Logan who just doesn't care. They have questions about themselves and their behavior. But Roman is swayed more easily than Kendall and Chip. Maybe they've been around the block more. Maybe. And he wants it more as well, I think. Why? There's something in Roman that feels much happier when everybody's getting along. Mm-hmm. Shiv accuses him of just like being afraid of conflict, Mm -hmm. which is quite a funny thing to say to Roman when you think about the fact that he seems like he's constantly trying to start a fight with everyone he meets, but he is also deeply afraid of conflict. It bothers him greatly. Real conflict. Real conflict. And I think he's just emotionally driven to try and make everyone nice and be together all the time, which is why he's actually weirdly easy to get on side, Mm -hmm. because as soon as you suggest to Roman, oh, we're going to be together and everything is going to be nice. There's just something so old in him or young in him, as it were that's driven towards that.
1: Yeah, 100%. But then Logan, of course, when he doesn't get what he wants, he has some brutal parting words, which are the actual truth. Let's play that clip.
0: You're such fucking dopes. You are not serious figures. I love you, but you are not serious people.
1: Oof. I love you, but you are not serious people. What does he mean from your perspective? I get what he means, I think. I mean, I've mm-hmm. heard people say something like a version of this. Have you? Yeah. It's a big insult when you say that.
2: Yes, absolutely. The other phrase that often comes up in tech leaders, I've noticed, is the idea they just don't get it. They don't get like, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they don't get it or they're not serious people. And there's just some, sometimes it's a kind of intellectual superiority that's being yeah. implied. But I think in this case, it's also just like you do you won't ever change anything you aren't for real you're nobody you're nobody and there is something he has hamstrung them emotionally as a father to the extent that he's not wrong you know there is something kind of vapid and um inconsequential about them in a way that is deeply frustrating to them and to him, because they're not world changes in the way that he sees himself as being.
1: Right. And he's disappointed that the kids are not more serious about business and they're using it as a means for them to play out their relational dynamics, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think you're really right. He sees any sort of emotional chink in an armor as just such a great weakness and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. He perceives it as a strop that they're throwing, a tantrum, as it were. Mm-hmm. And they may not be like i'm not sure about that because the other thing one could argue is that they are pushing for more money as kendall Mm -hmm. points out they're actually doing something that he would do in his prime and perhaps that irritates him as well in a level he's not aware of that they are actually making quite a good business decision and that might intimidate him
1: Well, or not. Maybe he knows the jig is up and this is the best price they can get. I mean, you look at people when they sell and how they sell. Murdoch did sell 20th Century, right? He did it. And he looks like a genius now. He got the top price and, you know, he wasn't sentimental about it. And I think what bothers him the most is they're sentimental. I think their sentimentality drives him crazy.
2: Yeah, I think that's really right. Which is sad because it basically their emotional tie to him it's the same as when in the very first episode i think in the pilot i think logan's very disappointed that kendall comes to his birthday party rather than stay and try and do the deal with volta that he's setting up at the time and yeah and i think that's another key into it which is you know don't come to my party sentimental idiot do the business is he serious
1: i think he is i think the business is everything to him
2: Yeah. But as you say, it's interesting. The business is everything to him, but he's also prepared to sell, which is this Mm -hmm. Murdochian thing of like, I win. Doesn't care. Move along. Yes, exactly. It's, It's the company is perhaps the child he loves the most, but he's prepared to lose it to win.
1: Yeah, exactly. The scene ends with a really moving monologue by Connor, where he talks about learning to live in a family without love and telling siblings that they're just needy love sponges. It's interesting. He's really developing as a character. Do you think Logan saying I love you means anything to them? I think that was a genuine thing. Or do they want love in a different way?
2: Well, I think Logan believes he believes it. And that's mm-hmm. all that's important. Whether or not we we think that that constitutes love, I think Logan believes his children belong to him. And that's some equivalent of that. Mm-hmm. I love that little speech by Connor. We talked a lot in the room at the time um, about attachment theory and the mm-hmm. idea of who's dysfunctionally attached and who's avoidantly attached. And basically, you know, <laughs> we know that children who who don't get a certain amount of love and care do give up on hoping to receive it, which is why your relationships become harder when you get older and you're avoidant by nature because you simply don't really believe that it's possible or that you're deserving of it. And Connor is this archetypal example of that. And that's what he's he's describing. He's describing it as a superpower in this, in this heartbreaking way, which I think is... Is true. Whereas I think some of the other siblings probably haven't given up on that. I think Ken right, no. would think that he's worthy of of love. Whether he's right is is a different matter. Oh no, he needs love badly. I, you know, I always say about a lot of powerful people,
1: both in media, tech, ever, in business. I was talking to one of them. They were being so difficult, and I said, I don't know why I said this. I said, I'm really sorry your parents didn't hug you enough as a child, but they're dead. <laughs> And they were like, what? And I said, they're not coming back. You're not getting any more hugs. Just get off my ass. Like, it was like, and I just came out as a parent. I understood that. People mm-hmm. who aren't hugged enough as children. Right. Really, really. Do not thrive. They can live and they can do well, but they certainly, it, it comes out every which way. Oh, absolutely. And there's no amount of hugging now that could fix it, unfortunately. <laughs> so in any case, there you have it. It's all yours.
2: You'll give it a try, card <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of lines, before we let you go, I want to ask your very favorite line from this episode, because I'm loving all the lines, so I'm asking everyone oh, these. Oh, my gosh. You pick one and I'll pick one, okay? hmm Let's play a clip.
0: Hey. So what's happened? What's okay. happened? So he's still just kind of walking around, but with the slight sense that he might kill someone. It's like Jaws. If if everyone in Jaws worked for Jaws.
2: That is my favorite that's, line. That's, I mean, that's my favorite as well. It's right up there. I also have another very small Greg moment that I adore which is less of a written line, more of a performance thing. When he goes to Kerry to basically get her into a room to tell her she's not got the job, mm-hmm. he says, can I grab you for a minute? And Kerry responds, because, you know, Greg's been mm. very much out on the town with Tom. With um, mm-hmm. She responds with the line, you've grabbed Ed, the other woman in Manhattan. And he says, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the way that he delivers thank you. Um, which I think was only ever written to be like a thank you, please come into the room, like as in thank you for coming in. He basically thanks her for her insult in a way that I find so charming as a performance by Nick Braun. So that's my favorite moment. Yeah,
1: he's a very good reader of lines. I still am going with Jaws. Sure. Uh, Just because it was exactly right. If Jaws worked (laughs) for Jaws.
2: Jaws. (laughs) Which would be a good movie. I mean, I would watch that movie.
1: Jaws in a top hat. They're all great lines, and, and it's all due to writers like you, and you should all be really proud. And you are writing up a storm, as they say, just thank typing you. hard. Anyway, we really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on and talking about this episode.
2: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Now it's time for our expert segment. And today, we're getting into the complications that come with a high-profile divorce like Tom and Shiv's. Joining me now is Laura Wasser, a celebrity divorce attorney and one of the top lawyers for Divorce.com. I've interviewed her before. Thanks for having me. No problem. Off the bat, I want to ask you how real this dynamic is between Shiv and Tom. We'll see Tom has contacted all the best lawyers, so they can't represent Shiv. Let's listen to a moment where Shiv finds
0: out. Hey. Hey, Tom. So, all the top attorneys are conflicted out. Yeah? Dad teach you that? It's a fucking nice move. Does he want to marry you now? Um, I'm not sure I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, okay, so you've met with or retained every usable divorce lawyer in New York just to fuck with me? Hmm? I don't know, Shiv. I think maybe Sarah made a mistake. You think I don't recognize my own dad's playbook? Fuck you, Tom. Shiv, I did did not intend for this to be aggressive, but I've seen what your family can do in these situations, and I want it to be amicable. I'm sure we can figure it out. Yeah, okay. You want to be my dad's little bitch boy? Why don't you deliver him a message, bitch boy? Tell him to fuck off and stay out of my life.
1: All right, Laura. Well, that's uh, dramatic. um, (laughs) But I have heard this happen before, actually conflicting people out. Can you talk about this? And is it really a thing?
3: Yeah, the original playbook was this happened in The Sopranos, if you recall. Mm -hmm. And Mm Tony Soprano called everybody. So now I actually do have people here in California that will call. Um, We have a pretty strict conflict system at our office. You'd have to actually come in, have a meeting, have a Zoom, have a telephone call. And the standard really is that you have to convey some confidential information also, which, of course, Tom Mm -hmm. could have done. So yes, it does happen. And to say that you want it to be amicable once you've made that move is a little bit disingenuous, Tom. (laughs) You bitch boy. And what has he actually done to compromise those lawyers practically? He's conflicted them out, meaning that when she calls, they check their notes and they see that the husband has called, spoken with someone at the firm, imparted some confidential information, and they say, sorry, we can't talk to you. We've already spoken to him. So we can't talk to you and we can't be of service to you. So yes, it is frustrating and it certainly doesn't start things out on the right foot, but it's not the only way to go. I mean, she'll find Mm -hmm. another attorney at some and you. Usually, I, I hate to say this because my colleagues will probably be mad at me, but family law is not rocket science. I mean, you know, there's going to be someone that's going to be able to help you through this process.
1: Right, 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 right. There is a lot of attention
3: given to lawyers, though, in these kind of cases, yes. obviously. Is it effective to do that? Well, one thing that there is to be said also— You don't Mm -hmm. want a bad lawyer on the other side. You really don't. You want somebody who's going to be good because there's a lot better of a chance of working it out. There's a lot better Mm -hmm. of a chance of getting into court and getting things done if you can't work it out. If you've got some schlub on the other side, or even worse, the party decides to represent themselves, it'll take longer. It'll be more expensive. And so you really do want one of the key players that either— Hopefully, you can reason with and resolve the case. But even if not, you want to be on par with somebody. There's nobody that's that good, that's that scary, that you should conflict out. It's it's kind of an amateur move, frankly. Amateur move. Okay.
1: But it happens. It does happen. Yes.
3: What's the most challenging
1: part in dealing with people like Tom and Shiv, where there is power, there is family, and the business intertwined?
3: I think the most challenging part, particularly dealing with people that have that kind of wealth and are so used to being told yes, is Mm -hmm. being able to apply the law to the facts of their case and sometimes saying, Mm -hmm. no, I get paid the same amount no matter who you are. And so just because you're used, I mean, I remember seeing episodes where the father, no one says no to him. And if somebody says no, he finds a different way to get somebody to say yes. Yes. That doesn't really happen so much in family law. I mean, as an example, mm-hmm. if Shiv calls up one of these attorneys who's been conflicted out and they say, well, I can't help you. And she says, but I'm, I am who I am. You, they can't do it. And so you have to really be able to be very clear about what the parameters of the law are. People wearing black robes and sitting up on the bench, they don't care. They're not going to give you any special dispensation because you're wealthy or powerful. So as the lawyer, you have to kind of convey that information before you get to court so that everybody's expectations are very realistic. Right, right. So, how
1: long do these cases usually last? People always accuse lawyers of trying to lengthen the anger. Not me.
3: I have massive yeah. case ADD. I want it to go six to 12 to 18 months at the very most. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be complicated in this day and age. You know, you can usually push a button now and get documents. You can get quickened. You can see what mm-hmm. the marital lifestyles. So, even in the most, you know, high net worth divorce, it shouldn't take more than a year or so if people are on the ball. How much do most divorces cost? It really depends. I mean, you know, people ask me all the time when they first interview me, how much is this going to cost? It just depends. It depends who's on the other side of the case, both the party and the attorney, and whether both parties want it to go quickly and amicably and cost effectively. Because sometimes there's someone on the other side that's angry and not maybe terribly sophisticated, and they figure they've got nothing to lose. By dragging it out.
1: Right. Just to drag it out and cost money. So it can get into the what? Millions?
3: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like thousands of dollars an hour for the lawyers. And then that takes time. So everything takes time. And a
3: waste. I mean, I just drove down to court. That took me an hour. I mean, we bill for that. Why sat around? Because there were other cases being called. That's a few hours. We finally got hurt. Then I drove back. So it's expensive. I mean, there are definitely ways to cut corners. Now we can appear remotely. Always suggest mediation before ever getting in front of a judicial officer downtown. There's all kinds of things that can be done, but it still can be very expensive.
1: If people want it, the clients want it. I used a mediator for my divorce. I used a mediator cuz we got along. I know. I remember and that's great. We didn't have a whole lot of issues and it was maybe 2 months. It was fast. Um, and it went very well. But so if you were hired uh, hypothetically by like Tom, how would you approach it? Shiv has done a lot of wild things to Tom in the past few seasons. I'll review them. She asked if they could have an open marriage on their wedding night. She tried to convince him to take the fall for a big scandal at Waystar RoyCo and which would have sent him to prison. Would you use any of this ammo as his attorney or does it matter?
3: It doesn't matter in California. The first thing I would do, though, if I were Tom, if I wanted it to be amicable as he says he does, is I would tell her that I would waive the conflict for one of the attorneys that he you know, X'd out. Say, I'd be willing if you wanted to use this person or this person. I've heard they're reasonable. If that makes it easier for you, Shiv, and then she could go meet them and see what she thought. That'd be the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is immediately figure out whether we could get into mediation so that you hear the other person's side of the story, so that you hear what a judicial officer or mediator neutral party thinks, not just two lawyers in your ear making money from your conflict. And I probably, I mean, you know, people come in, there's a reason people get divorced. Sometimes it just, you outgrow each other, the love dies. But a lot of times people have done really shitty things to each other. You kind of have to leave that in the past. That's why you're not going to be married to that person anymore, Tom. So you're not going to have to take the fall for her anymore. You're not going to have to have an open marriage anymore. Now we're moving forward. How do we best deal with kind of extricating ourselves from each other?
1: How about if you were hired by Shiv? I mean, tom trying to climb the ladder at Shiv's family company at the end of the season. He went behind her back on the business deal that screwed her, essentially. Is that helpful? Would you let her use divorce as the weapon to hurt him?
3: I don't think so. I I mean, I'm sure she's really hurt by her dad and how that worked. And as you know, I worked for my dad for years, so I know that father-daughter relationship and always trying to get the approval and all that. I would not use it against Tom. She could use it against Tom when she's having her therapy sessions and, you know, getting stronger and getting past the anger. But I would really keep it very business-oriented Maybe there's a civil lawsuit that she has against him for what he did to her in terms of that deal, I don't know. But I would keep the divorce part, the divorce. And it sounds to me like she's got plenty of money, she can get out and then go her separate way. That's what I do. Yeah,
1: money's not often the point, is it?
3: No, but I would, if I were her lawyer, I would make sure that yeah. she understood, it is the point here. You've got it. Let's cut bait with this guy and, and Royko and let's start something new.
1: So I've heard you don't believe in lifelong monogamy, which is a belief you and Shiv share, but Tom <laughs> feels much more like a, quote, traditional marriage guy. After doing this work for so long, do you consider yourself an expert on marriage? Can you tell what marriages work out and which won't? no.
3: I can't. I have no idea. I'm always surprised. I'll go to a wedding and I'll say, oh, my God, this isn't going to last. And then it lasts forever. You never know what happens behind closed doors. Here's my superpower. I can tell exactly mm-hmm. how the divorce is going to go down. All right. And what is that sign? It just has to do with the numbers and the feelings. And when I first meet with somebody, I say, So tell me what's going on. And if it's all about he did this, he cheated, it's going to go one way. And, and but I can always see exactly where the pieces are probably going to fall. And I say that. I said, Now mm-hmm. the only question is, how much money are you going to spend to get there? And how miserable are you going to get during that time period?
1: When you go see couples go down the path that Jim and Tom have gone down the divorce warfare, do you think there's any way
3: marriages can be saved? Have you seen that happen? I mean, I know it's in the movies. But it does happen in real life, too. The more passion, the more anger. Again, there's some trust issues in this one that seem like they may be hard to overcome. But I've seen couples who have cheated on each other. They've done horrible things. There's so much passion there that sometimes (laughs) that passion actually inflames something and they get back together. And maybe the later they get divorced again. But I have seen people get through it. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I'm thinking.
1: Exactly, all that.
3: But then, oh, did they have a divorce? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but was. again, that's the movies. It's the ones that come in and say, I just don't feel anything anymore. Just, I gotta get out of this. But if it's that angry or that sad or whatever, sometimes yeah. those people figure out a way back to each other.
1: And do you say, mm, not a good idea? Or nope.
3: You don't try to no? stay out of it? What I do say is, if you're separated please don't sleep together, because that can really blur the date of separation line. And that screws up my case. Go have sex with somebody else if you're separated.
1: Can you use your superpower of knowing how a divorce will go to give us a prediction about Tom and Shiv's pending divorce?
3: I think Tom and Shiv's is going to be long and angry. And then all of a sudden, one or both of them is going to hit a wall, and it's probably going to settle. I do not think this will be the one that ends up in court for years and years and years. There'll be something that Mm -hmm. happens which they will ultimately settle, but there will probably be some battles or skirmishes before the war.
1: Laura, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to thank my guests, divorce attorney Laura Wasser and Lucy Preble, executive producer and writer of Succession. Things are certainly heating up with the Roys and this alliance between Shiv, Roman and Kendall feels extra shaky. I never thought I'd say this, but at this point, Connor and Willa might have the most healthy and stable relationship on this entire show, which isn't a compliment to them. To be clear, it's a very low bar. Next week, we'll be back to talk about episode three, Connor's Big Day and Who Doesn't Love a Wedding? New episodes of the podcast come out every Sunday night after the latest episode of Succession airs on HBO and HBO Max. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcast so you never miss an episode. The official Succession podcast is a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Barry Finkel and Gabrielle Lewis. Our producers are Elliot Adler, Ben Goldberg, and Noah Camuso. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Engineering and mixing by Hannes Brown. Production music is courtesy of HBO. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstadt, Kenya Reyes, and Savon Slater at HBO Podcasts. I, of course, am Kara Swisher. We'll see you next week or else. I'm going to take you apart like a human string cheese.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app